Uh, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you all. My name is Alex Brown, the lead pastor, and we're continuing our sermon series called Running on Empty. And the tagline for this series is Finding Rest uh, in a Restless World. And so today I'm talking about being beyond busy. That's that place where you're busy, but you're even more busier than that. It's beyond. So if I were to ask you the question, uh, how are you doing? And that was just a general question that people ask you. You do that at work when you see people on Monday throughout the week. You see that when you maybe kind of get reacquainted with your family after a long day at work, at church. People ask the question, how are you doing? And the normal answer is usually okay or fine. But a lot of times in life, we answer it like this, like, well, I'm, I'm busy. And it's like usually with a sigh. How are you doing? How, how's, how's your week? How, how's your family? We're busy. Have you heard that before? Or maybe it's like, I'm, I'm tired. Just, whoo, there's a lot going on. It's like, I got to get that coffee. And, you know, we have this exchange as humans all the time. How are you doing? Busy. Oh, me too, busy. And oftentimes it's a very general response to something that we all feel. And that is life that's moving at a very fast pace. And so I want to ask you a question this morning, and you'll see it on the screen, is, is are you busy, you yourself? Are you busy? And so what I'd like you to think about is if you answer that question, yes, I'm busy, I want you just to take like 10 seconds. What are the things that are making you busy right now in your life? Just think about it, just 10 seconds. My internal clock just said that was 10 seconds. It could have been 12 or eight, but we're so busy, I don't have time to count, okay? But you have probably things that come to your mind straight away when people ask that question. So I began to think in my own life, when I answer that, when how are you doing? It's like, I'm busy, life is busy, I'm tired. What are, what are the things that fill my schedule? See if uh, you had any of these um, work, that makes me busy, I'm sure that makes you busy. In fact, work is probably something that you give the most time to in your life. Uh, so that, that makes us busy. Parenting, uh, running errands, relationships, that can keep us busy. The just different communication with people. Uh, family, of course, recreation, uh, ministry, service, um, all sorts of things. And what happens is then we have our schedule. And then if you have a family, you have your family schedule. And then as your kids get older, a crazy thing happens they're not just following your schedule anymore. They get their own schedule. And then you begin your schedule plus your spouse's schedule. If you're multiplied, then your kid's schedule gets multiplied again. And before you know it, you're beyond busy. So I want to define what, what busyness means. Uh, whoever defines terms, like, they create the meaning. So oftentimes it's helpful to go back to original dictionaries. When I say original, I mean like the 1800s. Get kind of back to the roots of language, but this is what busyness is, is employed with constant attention, engaged about something that renders interruption inconvenient as a man is busy in posting his books. See, this is like posting his books. That's old school. That would be in posting your social media update. That'd be today's language. It also means actively employed, occupied without cessation, constantly in motion as a busy bee. And then active, I like this one, active in that which does not concern the person, meddling with or prying into the affairs of others. This is when dictionaries could be offensive. They're just calling out the problems that we have. 
It's not just defining it, but it's saying, actually, you can be a busy bee and you could be nosy, and I'll define that for you as well. And that's something with busyness. The scriptures define that as like a stewardship, but we have our life, what we're concerned with, and we can be busy with that. But then we can also be busy with other people's lives, maybe even things that we shouldn't be busy with, other people's stewardship. And that could drive our busyness. That can actually put a weight of tiredness and exhaustion on us as well. And so I don't probably have to stand too long convincing you of the busyness that plague us. I think we, we know that. Even in summer, there's still things we have to do. And then there's seasons when it, it keeps getting busier and busier. But it's interesting. If, if you look at history, you think with all the advancements in our technology, all the tools that we have at our disposal, that life would actually be simpler. In fact, you'd think that it would be less busy. Now, I was thinking, like, when this dictionary was written in 1828, if you needed to get somewhere, how did you get there back in the day? Well, you walked or you rode a what? Like a a horse. So to get somewhere would take you a lot longer. And then if you're riding a horse, you have to take care of the horse so that it can actually take you to where you need to go. There's also just the care of an animal. Uh, If you needed warmth, you know, it wasn't like turning on a gas stove. Wasn't like just turning on a, a fan if you're cold. If, if you need warmth to be cool, you, you have to take care of that yourself. Specifically, if it's warm, well, sorry, if it's cool, you, you need to cut down a tree, you need to burn it, and then there's a fire. Creates warmth. But that takes a lot of time. If you need a meal, uh, you know, there wasn't fast food. There wasn't like this restaurant that you could just go to. No, you actually, for most people, had to provide your own crops, harvested it, created a meal that you made from scratch, and then you ate it. Here at Ridgeview, we're going back. No, just kidding. We're not going to, but there's, if you think about that, it's crazy to think about, because how could people in the past survive? That's what I think about. Because when I need food, it's easy. You go in a cupboard, and it's like in a package. You open it, and you go to your microwave, and you go to your freezer, and it's like instantaneous. You can get food. And then even if you don't have anything, you can literally have people deliver food to you through an app on your phone. It's amazing. And so if you look back at history, and you know now we have cars instead of walking, we have electricity and gas instead of the fires that we'd have to make. Um, we have takeout. We want a meal. We have restaurants that provide that for us. So how can it, in a time where we are so technolo- technologically advanced, we feel busier and more burdened than ever. I don't think that's an over-exaggeration. I think that's what we see in our society. It's what we see in our country. That's certainly what we see in our state, just this endless movement for more and more and more. And we find ourselves experiencing the definition of this dictionary. And so... With all of these advancements, it's really interesting. I found this out from a book I was reading recently. But in 1967, a Senate subcommittee were studying all the advances in technology from this movement from trying to create your, your own meals and your own warmth to like these advances. And in 1967, they predicted that the average American in 1985, they were looking forward a little bit, the average American in 1985 would only work 22 hours a week. That's comical, correct? 
But with all these advances, they were looking for like at the rate that we are progressing with all of the things that we have at our disposal, we'll work 22 hours a week, but it gets better than that for only 27 weeks a year. This was a, this is a team that were paid to actually come up with this. This was our government. Now, how many of you think like that, can we go back to that prediction and make sure that came true? Doesn't that sound amazing? Like maybe we just all agree that this is the period where we don't work now. And after church, we just go and hang out and we, we have fun together because we're only working 27 weeks. But the opposite is true. Just even back to 1979 in our country, we work four more weeks a year than we did then. Isn't that interesting? So how could that be possible with all the progression that we were making as humans? That we're actually being more drained and working than ever before. One of the shifts that people have studied about culture, and I think this is a big part of it, is that back in the day, a sign of wealth was, was leisure. You had to think of, well, how do, how do you get to this place where you, you don't have to work anymore? We even have images, if you grew up in the 80s, like the country club world, like that was like the cool people, the rich people, you just got to get to the country club where everyone can just relax, and I'm dating myself here, but you know what I mean. It's just this, this idea of like stopping the grind so you can actually show your wealth by just not working anymore. But over the years, because of technology, the thing that would make life easier has actually now changed our very definition of success. The definition of being someone that's successful today is not leisure, but it's actually in busyness. It's a part of your identity. The more busy you are, the more busy your kids are, the more you have going for you. And now we have tools that have become burdens. Because the tools that can help us with productivity have actually just driven more and more busyness in our life. Where we're always connected and we're always on. So my second question is this, is not just are you busy, but are you distracted? I'm going to say that again, for those of you who didn't hear it. Are you distracted? Thank you for the snicker. But it's hard to even listen sometimes because we're so distracted by all that we have going on on our plate. And Sunday is no different. You come and you're engaging with people and sometimes it's hard to engage because you're just thinking of all that you have to do. And it's hard to even listen. It's sometimes hard to even hear from God because we're so distracted and we're so busy. During this service, think how many iPhone notifications you might have. Think about how many emails you may get. Think about how many people may be posting different things to social media that you may miss. Any of you like reaching for, oh yeah, like that kind of drives your anxiety. There's so much going on and all the time. Email, always alerting, texting. Some of you have been texted already during this service. We actually have a machine when you walk through the door, we, we read all your texts. No, just kidding. Just kidding. But all of this, it doesn't stop. The technology helps us. I want to share some interesting stats with you. This is related to our busyness. This is related to our distraction. Here's some interesting stats. The average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Now, for those of you that like those diehard, like we don't do Apple, we're Android. I don't know if the stats are much better. But if that makes you feel better, you can say ours is way lower. 
This is just iPhone. But then this is everyone. The Americans spend four hours, 25 minutes each day on their cell phones. I think this is low. Overall, the average American will spend over two months, 65 days on their phones this year. 65 days, if you add it all up. The average guy spends 10,000 hours on video games by the age of 21. How many hours? 10,000. It's interesting. They've done studies on what it takes to become an expert in something. Do you know how many hours it takes? 10,000. Very interesting. Another one. The average person spends 2,737.5, I love that 0.5, watching TV each year. Yeah, hours. The average user spends two hours and 31 minutes daily on social media. That's also low, I think. And then if you have teens, this one. Teens show an increase in their daily screen time between seven hours and 22 minutes to eight hours and 39 minutes every day. Every day. Are young people distracted? Yeah. If we are, they are. What's interesting about this, this actually doesn't create more time for them. The more time you spend, it creates more busyness. It actually drives anxiety. It's intended to kind of grow your appetite for things. And then this is another stat. In contrast, it would take the average reader 417 hours to read 200 books in a year. So 417 hours, if you devoted to reading based on the average time, you could read 200 books. When was the last time you read 20 books in a year? Well, there was that one time in 10th grade. I had a crazy English teacher, right? It's actually hard to believe this. It is until you begin to look at the stats on your phone if you have something that tells you and you begin to see it. So I encourage you, if you don't have anything that tracks your time, you can get an app, you can do that, or you could just do it the old manual way, but it's hard to do that. But you can actually see like how much time you spend. So some of this, it, it just kills our time. Some of it also drives the distractions. And the more distracted, the more busy. And the more busy, we, we become hurried. I, I, I'm going to plug a book because it's been really helpful to me. Now, this is called The Ruthless Elim- Elimination of Hurry. If you want to keep your life as the status quo, don't read this book. This book is actually very challenging. And it speaks to really the epidemic that we have as humans, especially in our Western culture, where we have the drive for more and more and more, and how it's actually deteriorating our lives. Like it's kind of rotting us from the inside out. And this book specifically talks about the busyness, it talks about distraction. Some of these stats that I got were from this book. But if you want something to challenge you and to maybe rethink what you determine is product, productive for your life, you know, read it. I, I encourage you. Uh, for me, I've actually been really trying to like detox as I've been preparing for this series, as I've been looking at my own life. One of the things I was just noticing about myself, I wasn't liking certain patterns that I was seeing in my life. 
if I could be honest with you. I was noticing I was becoming very distracted. And just certain habits that I had that it were automatic without even thinking. Certain ones. Like I have my phone on like a little cradle in my car when I drive. And sometimes at a stoplight, and when I say sometimes, I mean like 95% of the time, there's something in me that wants to, when I'm at a stoplight, I want to check my phone. Why would I do that? Because there's information that I need that's happening that I want to find out about. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, talk about distracted. Like, at a stoplight where you're possibly stopping for 15 seconds. And then just as I was engaged in conversation with my family, I just noticed there's a lot of times I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just on my phone. And what I realized is a lot of the answer that I give to people about my life and the busyness and sometimes even the weight is because of my own choices. In fact, that's most of the time the truth. Like this series is about the choices we make and how oftentimes the choices we make They actually drive our restlessness. So hear me out. This isn't about making anyone feel guilty for the use of technology or your schedule or how you determine the life that you live. But it is an opportunity for us to take a step back and, like me, ask the question, do you like the habits that you have? Another way of asking that is, Are you liking the person you're becoming in your relationships, in your thinking, in your creativity, in your playing, just the person that that you're becoming? Is that somebody that, that seems like on the right track? And more importantly, is this somebody who represents godliness? And so I've been just doing kind of some detoxing and reflecting in, in my own life. And last week, I dumbed down my smartphone. And it like took me a while to get to that point. But I deleted and reset my entire phone. And the hardest thing was that, with that, was like, how do I get the pictures that I've taken for the last few years that feel like takes a planet of storage? But even that, it's like the thought of like, I have all these things, I have all this space and all this data, and what, what do I do with it? So I began to just think through, okay, well, I got to get my, my pictures on my computer so I could save those. Then I got to move stuff from my computer because now my computer's getting full. And then I just decided, like, well, I have all of these apps and everything, and so I, I just I reset my, my whole phone. And you know there was a part of me that was just like, oh, like, like it was like a process of mourning. And then what was interesting is once I reset it, it actually was now a fresh start. And I'm, like, really trying to not load too many things onto my phone. Because the more things I have on it, the more things I want to check. And the more things on it, the more things I'm distracted with. And you know, distractions add up and distractions add up. And you know what? It actually makes you more busy. So if you look at the time that you spend on the phone and you look at the busyness of your life, how much of it, again, is just from the choices that we make without even thinking? So for me, I just realized like that, that's actually a lot. There's a lot of time wasters. And it's hard to admit that. Because for the most part, we are productive people. And technology does help us. But we're also becoming a hurried, distracted, and busy people. We run, and we keep running. And we have a culture 
That's designed to give us the very technology that we want so that we never slow down. And I mentioned this last week. This series is all about this truth, and it's this. Hurry is a great enemy of the spiritual life. Hurry is a great enemy of the spiritual life, meaning if you have a category of your life which is spiritual, and actually our whole life is spiritual. It's not compartmental. But if you have a part of your life where you realize, like, I actually need to pay attention to these things, then you have to deal with busyness, and you have to deal with distraction, and you have to deal with this issue of hurriness. Hurry, to me, is this busyness that you have, this distraction, and it just drives that feeling of always being on and always connected never actually removed from information, from marketing, from just thoughts that just plague and plague and plague and plague, and it's, it can be exhausting. So I begin to think, why, why is hurry so appealing to us? And I thought of my own life, and I think the running is connected to this. Most of us were either running from something or we're running to something. Now, without getting like overly spiritual or just breaking down all of our lives, I, I do think there's some truth to that. So many of the times what we're doing with our time is we're, we're trying to kind of escape something. Maybe it's the bad that was done to us. Maybe it's experiences. Maybe it's like we don't want to be the people that we knew in our past, it could be people that loved us, even our parents. Sometimes we're running from the very way that we're raised to prove something to someone. And that can be exhausting. And then the other side of that is, if we're not running from something, then we're running to it. And that could be the gods of our day, materialism. To try to keep up with the new stuff, with the new things that everyone has, it, it drives your need for more and more and more and more and more. You're running to it. And then in technology and then socially, as you're, the more you're on things, the more you see what people have and what they do, and you begin to compare yourself. And if you're lacking, then that drives you running to get those things. And if it's not materialism, then it's just humanism. It's just well, whatever makes you happy. Well, for us in the West, whatever makes us happy is always more. It's never less. You guys get what I'm saying? The reason I bring this up is this is something that's happening and we don't even think about it. At least I don't. And then my wife and I, we just begin to have more and more conversations where we start to realize, and this is where you begin to feel old, but you're like, wow, I would have hated to have been in our technology, I can't say that word that great, technologically advanced culture like when we were teens. Like back in the day, you called somebody and if they had an answering machine, you're like, ooh, have an answering machine. And then you left a message and you really didn't know if anyone ever checked it. Or you'd call somebody and you'd get this weird thing that would go like this, beep, beep, beep. Remember that? What's that called? A busy signal? What does that mean? You can't talk to them. They're talking to somebody else. That was just a part of life. Then you had like call waiting and it was like revolutionary. Now, if you text somebody and they don't respond in 10 seconds, you're starting to wonder, like, are they okay? Somebody check on them. Because it feels like we should always be connected to everyone at the same time. 
Well, all of that's exhausting. And it leads and builds into this, this hurry. And so it's a problem. Well, here, here's, the, here's the solution. Life with Jesus always, always, always begins with relationship. So if you think about the things I've talked about so far, the busyness that you have, oftentimes it can be related to people. But there's a lot of things going on in our life that's just running from the choices that we're making, just causing us to do more and more and more. And oftentimes it can come from a good place, like we want to make something better, so we maybe sign our kids for everything that they're involved in. But the problem with that is oftentimes if you just do everything that's presented and before you and every opportunity, every yes is a no to something else. And I think that's a disconnect that we have. And so we run, we run, we run. But what Jesus offers is actually this relationship. And this is where Christianity is different than the world religions. And it's different from what our culture presents. Because the culture says you need to just run. You need to strive. You need to earn. But Jesus says something entirely different. You actually need to relate. You need to be. And as you relate, and as you show up, I will change your life. The solution that Christianity offers in the person of Christ is the answer to this distracted, hurry, empty world in which we find ourselves. And this isn't just a cultural issue out there. It's, it's in here. It's in us. Because there's something in us where oftentimes it's easier to run than it is to relate. And so I want you to just kind of focus on this phrase for the rest of our time, and it's this, relating over running. Everybody say that, relating over running. If you can get that into your mind, and you could think of that as that's the gospel, the good news that Jesus brings, it's relating over running, the opportunity to relate to the living God through Jesus. And that can cause you to be free from the restlessness that you experience. And that freedom brings life. I want to focus on this scripture, which has been a real help to me through the years. It's Matthew chapter 11. It's an invitation from Christ. Now, as I read this, think through what we've talked about so far and try to compare what Jesus is offering versus what our world and what our current choices offer as we become more and more advanced. Okay, so here it is. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, is there contrast? So maybe another way to ask it is, what is Jesus offering that's different than what our world is offering? Just think about that for a moment. What is Jesus offering, this invitation that's different than what our world, or maybe our own desires even, want? Just look at those phrases. Look at, look at those words. And then I want to highlight some of these phrases and just unpack them a little bit. So come to me. This is just an invitation. What Christ is saying is stop running and relate. Christianity is about this relationship. But notice, it's come to me. 
He's there. You have to stop. And you draw near to him. It's a reordering of your priorities. It's a shift of what's really important. You have to come to him. And then this invitation is to a certain person. Come to me, those who, what, labor. And that, that word labor is, is literally those who are exhausted, those who are losing heart, and those who are stressed. Do you fit any of those? Exhausted, losing heart, and stressed. So oftentimes we come to church, and it seems like we have to become certain people that are the opposite of that. Or even as we look in the mirror, like we're proving that we have it all together. What Christ is saying is the invitation, those he invites to relate, are actually those who need him desperately. And the more you need him desperately, guess what? The more you will come to him. It's very counterintuitive. So not only those who labor, who are exhausted, losing heart and stress, but they're heavy laden. It's, it's you're burdened by your life. It's literally like you're, you're feeling crushed by what you have to deal with, what, what you have before you. So notice, it's really this invitation for those who are humble enough to admit that they need something different. They need to change. It says, those who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you what? I will give you rest. That literally means relief and refreshment. So this, this makes sense. It's like an invitation to this people who are in desperate need of something different, of this transformation. And Christ is saying, listen, that comes through the relationship through me. And then it shifts a little bit, Jesus' invitation. And this is maybe a little bit harder for us to understand. Then he says, take my yoke. If you grew up in church, you may have realized or learned about this yoke. Here's a picture of a yoke on an animal. You have it there. Uh, You notice that that cross beam, and it's how two animals would work together. And a yoke would always be like two animals side by side that are working in the same direction. The yoke was designed to keep them in step with one another so they could be the most productive with the task at hand. So Christ knew, again, it's different for us, but he knew all of his listeners were right next to a field somewhere that had animals that had a yoke on it. And it represented this work. So isn't it very interesting? Christ is here talking about those who are burdened, those who are crushed, those who are just stressed out, those who are heavy laden. And he says, you know what? Take this instrument of work on you. Well, doesn't that seem like the opposite of what you need? Shouldn't he be saying, and I will give you vacation? But he doesn't. He says, I'll give you rest. But this rest is literally speaking of, I will lift the burdens of your life as you come alongside me and we're step by step by step. This is why it's called walking with God. You walk with him. and You take the yoke. And this yoke uh, represents, I will give you a new way to carry your life. It's not vacation. It's not escape. You don't get an escape from your life. You don't get a utopia when you decide to commit your life to Christ. What you get is a person and a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus comes alongside you and he says, you know what, you're, you're stressed in your parenting and you're carrying that yoke by yourself. Take my yoke and now you have me alongside you doing the work I've given you to do. Your work is stressed. You got a boss that doesn't understand you. You have work that's meaningless. You keep plugging away and plugging away and plugging away and plugging away. Nothing comes. Christ says, you know what? Take 
the yoke of your work and invite me in and I will help you bear that. Step by step by step. And go back to that, that highlighted passage, if you will. I'll give you a way to carry this, this new way of life. And then he says, learn from me. Again, this, this learning is this experience. The Christian life, because it's based on a relationship, it always shows up in an experience. That's what relationships are. They're experiencing experiences with, with living people. And with Christ, we can have an experience with the living God who wants to know us and relate to us. So he says, walk with me, learn. And he says, I'm gentle, and that, that means he's, he's kind. He's not out to get you. He's not out to prove you're wrong. You actually don't have to prove anything because he's, he's gentle. That is a, the, approachable. And then he says, I'm, I'm, I'm lowly. Again, we can get to him. This is why Christ coming to this earth is so significant. The incarnation, God with us. Because Christ came. Because he lowered himself, he humbled himself to be born and to exist here on this planet with us. We can know him. And then I love this next phrase, I'll give you what? Rest for your souls. This is literally like an inner mission. So when you think it's so much, you can't handle it, and the weight is crushing you of whatever you have on your plate, there's a break. And what it is, is it's the yoke that Christ has given you, like you feel that weight lifted. There's no escape from the work, but you have the Almighty One helping you lift. You experience this rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. So if you think of a yoke, this work instrument, it seems painful. In fact, if you think about it, it seems like, well, if I'm tied, that seems actually more like a prisoner. And oftentimes the Christian life can feel like that. Now there's just so many things I can't do. You know, I can't even enjoy my life anymore. I've got a pastor saying I have to reset my phone. That terrible, terrible man. But he's saying, actually, that the yoke is easy. You will finally have what you need to move forward in life. This is why this is the gospel. It's the good news. It's always relating over running. And you know, there's so many people in our life, it starts with us as we look in the mirror, that we forget that. And we think that we earn and we gain by just running and running and running. And then maybe we'll get to retirement and then it stops. But life is so much more than that. You have an opportunity to take a yoke that includes Christ. And in everything that you do, from big to small, you're doing it with the living God. It now has meaning. I like this paraphrase from Eugene Peterson in The Message. Check this out. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to how to take a real rest, walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So the first two questions, are you busy? Are you distracted? 
and I'll take this invitation over anything I have on my plate. To walk with the rhythms of grace that Christ offers. It's always relating over running. I want to illustrate this uh, briefly with a story that you may have heard before, and I'm going to go through this really quick. But if you grew up in church, you may have heard of the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus comes to visit them at their home. This is the same Mary and Martha Martha who had the, the brother Lazarus who died and Christ raised him from the dead. And he had this, Christ had a relationship with them. And one day Jesus is coming uh, to visit them and he has his 12 disciples. And they now are hosting the Messiah. Christ himself has come to their home. So think about all we're talking about with all that you have on your plate. What would you do if you had brief notice of Christ coming to your home, how would you react? I mean, first you're like, okay, let's start. What's the yard look like? What's the porch look like? What's the living? And you're thinking through, when did the kids use the bathroom last? Or is that the same bathroom that he will, you know, you're going through all these things. Listen to this story. It says, now, as they went their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So she's, she's hosting this welcome. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted. Literally that word means busy with what? Much, what does it say? Interesting. Distracted with what? That's a good thing. How do you be distracted with something that's so good? Then it goes on. And she went up to him and said, the hymn is Christ, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? This is classic sister. Like, you know, just, yeah. Tell her then to help me. Christ, I need you to get involved here. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So really briefly, the scriptures say that Mary chose the good portion. Well, what was the good portion? It was relating. And who was it relating to? To Christ. Now, when you break this down, it's actually very difficult if you're really honest with yourself because I so relate to Martha in this. It's you're hosting a whole tribe of people who are probably hungry, who are dirty, And you don't know the state of your house at that moment. And there's all sorts of things to be done. So Martha got into running mode, which I think most of us can relate to. But what Martha was doing is in her running mode, she was missing the relationship. And then you take a step back. Well, what if Martha didn't do it? Like what? They're just gonna like, not eat anything? You know, you begin to ask these questions. How would that, that's not, what, what if she made Christ mad? Like, how do you, he's hungry. What's well, also Jesus. He did a lot with just some baskets of food, right? How many did he feed? 5,000? And so she was just missing this opportunity to relate. And then Mary sat at his feet. There was this attention and humility. She listened. She Jesus was the most important. It was relating to him. Martha welcomed. She got into host mode, and then she got distracted. 
Then that distraction led her to comparison. The busyness caused her to look around and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Mary, where's, the, where's Mary? Could you imagine, I just like, a, like if we could just a moment, like, is she outside getting something? Like, where, you know? And then could you imagine she goes into the other room and there's Mary sitting like she's one of the disciples? You know how mad a sister would get? Like, who do you, get, get, Mary, get. You don't know if there were signals before that. Mary, Mary. Didn't know avail, like she's just paying attention to Jesus. I relate to Martha. Oh, man, I'm here working. And that led to the comparison. And then she then led to like the stewardship. Now, Jesus, you need to help me help her. Notice that all happens just from this running, distraction, overemphasizing something that's good, but missing out on what's best. That's easy to do with our time. And she got all off track. And then Jesus just called Martha out. You're, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things. I think what Christ was getting at is there's more going on with you, Martha, than this moment. This represents some things that you need to work on. You have these weights on you, these stresses and these anxieties, that, that's not good. Don't miss me. Mary has chosen that good portion, and she will never forget it. The good portion was, was relating. It was attention. As I close out, here's a quote from a poet, which I think was on to something. It says, attention is the beginning of devotion. The reason we started with busyness and we started with distraction is because that's where our attention is. If you want to grow your devotion with Christ, you have to give attention to Christ. Attention is the beginning of devotion. I just want to end, as the band comes up, I want to end with just a few questions of reflection for you, if I could. Um, just put all of those up there. I'll go through it quickly. Uh, first, where, where is your relationship uh, to Jesus? So we're talking about this attention and this relating. So where is your relationship personally with him? Another way to put it is compare the time that you spend with all the things that you spend your time on and then how much time are you spending with him? Are you more Martha or are you more Mary? And then are you hurried and distracted? And then that second part of that, do you want help? I think that's really important to ask. And maybe be honest with yourself. Are you at a point where you do want to change? Something to think about. What has your attention the most right now in your life? And then pray. Ask God to help you slow down. God, I am hurry and I am distracted. Will you help me to slow down? If you pray that and ask God to help you with that, you have to be willing to make some choices to change. And then pray. Ask God to help you give your attention to the right things. These are helpful. This actually, when you reflect, it causes you to stop, to pause, that intermission. So back to Jesus' invitation, relating, overrunning. Is he a part of the yoke that you have and he's walking with you? Or are you just doing it on your own? That's what these questions are getting at.
I want to encourage you to, to really wrestle with these. If relating is always a priority to the spiritual life overrunning, then we have to really take this seriously. Here's some next steps as you kind of think through these. Um, memorize Matthew 11, the scripture, that invitation from Jesus. I mean, that would honestly be a great thing to put on a three-by-five card. And every morning when you wake up, you look at that. You can put it on your mirror, you can put it in your car. It's the invitation. And the question is, will you take it? Every day, you've got to decide. And then reflect further on your running versus relating, and then come back next week. Next week, we're going to begin for a couple weeks talking about spiritual practices and discipline, which can help diminish hurry in your life. So if there's this invitation to relate to Christ, what are the things that we can do to begin to actually shoulder that yoke with Jesus? How do we make choices that help with that? The Christian life is far more than just salvation, saving you from an eternity in hell. The Christian life is actually about life here and now as well. It's really salvation here. How do we live a new life as you go to work tomorrow, as you relate to your children, as you relate to your spouse, as you make decisions? And there's spiritual practices that we can do as people and as a church that help that new life permeate. So I hope you'll join us next week. Thanks for being here. If I've not met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be back by the next table. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Christ who, through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, we can experience the new life here and now. Thank you for saving us from ourselves. Thank you that you offer us a relationship in the middle of a world that's running, our minds that are running, burdens that are heavy. Thank you that in your kindness to us, you've agreed to come alongside us and to walk with us. There's no greater privilege than we have in our entire existence than to walk step by step with you. God, as we reflect, show us the things in our lives that are causing hurry to grow, busyness or distraction. And God, help us to be a people willing to make the changes necessary to eliminate it from our life. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.